If you dig the twisted, admire the outlandish, and are enamored by the unusual, you're in the right place. True crime, the supernatural, the unexplained, now you're speaking our language. If you agree, join us as we dive into the darker side. You know, because it's more fun over here. Welcome to Total Conundrum. Warning, some listeners may find the following content disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. (laughs) Hey everybody, welcome back to another riveting episode of Total Conundrum. I'm your host Jeremy, and with me as always is the one and only Tracy. Hey Conundrum crew, ready for another wild ride through the archives of history? You bet, but before we dive into today's mystery, a quick shout out to all our amazing listeners out there. We wouldn't be here without you. On that note, don't forget to subscribe, hit that notification bell on YouTube, and if you're enjoying the show, give us a five-star rating and a glowing review on your favorite podcast platform. Absolutely. Your support keeps us going, and we love hearing from you. Now, Jeremy, what thrilling tale do you have in store for us today? Brace yourselves, Conundrum Crew, because today we're unraveling the chilling story of none other than Jack the Ripper. Oh, joy. Nothing like a good old-fashioned murder spree to brighten our day. True, true. Now, Jack the Ripper terrorized the streets of Victorian London, leaving a trail of gruesome mysteries in his wake. The year was 1888. Gas lamps lit the foggy alleys, and our friend Jack, well, was not so friendly. A real charmer, that Jack. Oh, absolutely. They say he had a way with the blade and a taste for the dramatic. But Tracy, what's even more dramatic is the reminder for our listeners to check out our podcast friends featured in our episode today, Beyond the Shadows podcast and Dairyland Frights podcast. That's right. During our episode, their trailers will play and make sure to show them the love that you show us. Sharing is caring after all. Speaking of sharing, Jack the Ripper had a peculiar way of sharing his work with the world. You see, he'd leave cryptic messages and signatures at his crime scenes. Oh, how thoughtful of him. A real modern artist, that Jack. That's right. Now, Let's dive back into the world of top hats, cobblestone streets, and mysterious figures lurking in the shadows. But first, our first trailer from the brilliant minds of Beyond the Shadows podcast. Check them out, and we'll be right back. Beyond the Shadows podcast. In the darkest corners of our universe lie spaces where even the light won't go. Places where terror and the unknown lurk, always waiting. Join Ryan and Scott on the Beyond the Shadows podcast as we pull back the curtain and peer into the darkness. We'll examine hauntings, true crimes, mysteries, UFOs, exorcisms, reincarnations, mysteries, and all things dark. Join us as we go Beyond the Shadows. And we're back, Conundrum Crew. Hope you enjoyed that sneak peek. Now, let's get back to our regularly scheduled programming, the riveting tale of Jack the Ripper. So grab your magnifying glass, put on your detective hat, and join us on this roller coaster ride through history. 
In the meantime, stay curious and keep those wits about you. Hey, Jeremy, how are you today? Good, Tracy. How are you? Good. So you're going to freak us out with the old tale of Jack the Ripper, huh? Well, let's hope so. That's crazy. But before we get into that, we've got some exciting news. We do. We do. We have merch. Oh, we have merch. Yes. I pretty much spent multiple, multiple hours getting everything ready and everything is live. So if you go to bonfire.com slash store slash total conundrum, we have sweatshirts, t-shirts, tank tops, coffee mugs, hats, bags. We've even got stuff for the little tykes, youth sizes, and even a little itty bitty baby onesie. Okay, it's a good stuff. Yeah, we got our order placed. I can't wait to get it. I'm so Yay. excited. It turned out so so cool. Total Canundra merch. Yes, yeah. and we'll add to it as we think of other things, and hopefully they'll add more products, too. That would be nice. Yeah, and we're attempting today our first video episode. So let's hope it goes good. Yes, so if you see video, you know it went well. If you don't, oh, we had issues. <laughs> do you have any other news for us today? I don't have any. I don't think I do either. All right. Well, let's jump right into let's it. Let's dive then. in. So in the year 1888, the Whitechapel District of London was a place teeming with life, but it was also marked by poverty, crime, and desperation. It was during this time that a series of gruesome murders would shake the city to its core perpetrating a region of terror that would forever be associated with the name Jack the Ripper. And that's a name that everyone knows. Everybody knows. The story begins in the late summer of 1888, when the first victim, Mary Ann Nichols, met her tragic end. Her lifeless body was discovered in the early hours of August 31st. Her throat savagely slashed, and her abdomen horrifically mutilated. The brutality of the crime sent shockwaves throughout the community, leaving everyone fearful and bewildered. As the news of the Whitechapel murder spread, panic gripped the city. Jack the Ripper, as the unknown killer came to be known, had unleashed a reign of terror that would claim the lives of at least five women, known as the Canonical Five. Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly all met a similar gruesome fate, their bodies bearing the signs of a sadistic killer. The crimes were characterized by a level of brutality and precision that suggested a certain knowledge of anatomy. The killer seemed to possess a dark fascination with the organs of his victims, as evidenced by by the removal and mutilation of body parts. The mutilations were carried out with horrifying expertise, leaving investigators perplexed and struggling to identify the perpetrator. So did he take certain organs or did he just remove them? In at least one case, he took organs. I think he took, what was it? Maybe a heart, but okay. I, I think it was something else like liver or, or kidney something. or yeah. something 
I was just curious if he always took the same organ or mm, if. They didn't say anything about the first few victims. Okay. So I think this was him kind of evolving. Okay. So the hunt for Jack the Ripper consumed the police force and the public alike. The authorities faced immense pressure to solve the case, but their efforts were hindered by the lack of forensic technique and the challenge of gathering reliable witness testimonies. Eyewitness testimonies are never reliable. No, not usually. Countless suspects were considered, and the investigation took numerous twists and turns. But Jack the Ripper remained elusive. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too, with the forensics. Back then, there was not forensic evidence. So that had to have really been hard to deal with. I'm sure they maybe did fingerprints way back then, but then it's by eye. It's not by a machine. You don't have any DNA testing, nothing like that back then. No, not much. As the autumn of 1888 gave way to winter, the frequency of the Ripper's attacks began to wane. The killer seemed to vanish as mysteriously as he had appeared, leaving behind a legacy of fear and speculation. The case became an enduring enigma that has fascinated criminologists and historians and true crime enthusiasts for over a century. Yeah, because this case has never been solved, right? No, wow. never, never been solved. Still a mystery. And you know what? Lots of theories. I think the reason he stopped is because autumn was coming and he wanted to go to Cancun. Probably. Get That's away from winter. Where I would be going. <laughs> So numerous theories have emerged over the years attempting to unravel the identity of Jack the Ripper. Suspects have ranged from local criminals and doctors to members of the royal family. Members of the royal family? Yeah. Wow. However, no definitive proof has emerged to conclusively identify the killer. The Whitechapel murders not only gripped London but captured the attention of the world. The case highlighted the stark contrast between the poverty-stricken East End and the more affluent areas of the city, shedding light on the social issues of the time. The public's fascination with the case and the ensuing media frenzy helped shape the modern concept of the serial killer, establishing Jack the Ripper as an enduring symbol of terror. Today, the story of Jack the Ripper lives on as a haunting reminder of a dark chapter in London's history. The unsolved nature of the case continues to fuel speculation and inspire countless books, documentaries, and theories. The legend of Jack the Ripper serves as a chilling reminder of the limits of forensic science and the enduring allure of unsolved mysteries. So there was a lot of speculation of different people for Jack the Ripper, correct? Suppose I'm getting ahead of myself. You'll probably be getting into that. I'm going to get into some of them. Okay. Um, some of the more popular thought-to-be suspects. Okay. So as the years pass, the identity of Jack the Ripper may forever remain a mystery. Yet, the story of the Whitechapel murders and the elusive killer who stalked the streets of Victorian London will continue to captivate and intrigue, ensuring that the name Jack the Ripper is forever etched in the annals of criminal history. 
he definitely has been etched in the annals. In the, in, in the annals. <laughs> in the annals. <laughs> the true identity of Jack the Ripper remains unknown, and thus the exact birthplace of the killer cannot be definitively determined. Due to the lack of conclusive evidence regarding the Ripper's identity, there is no reliable information regarding their birthplace or personal background. The mystery surrounding Jack the Ripper's origin is one of the enduring enigmas associated with the case. That is an enigma, big time. Yes, over the years, numerous suspects have been proposed as potential identities for the Jack the Ripper. It's important to note that none of these suspects have been definitively proven to be the actual killer. The true identity of Jack the Ripper means one of the greatest unsolved mysteries in criminal history. And here are a few notable suspects. You have George Chapman. Chapman was born Severine Klawowski in Poland in 1865. At the age of 15, Klawowski worked for Moshko Rappaport, a surgical assistant. There's the surgical tie there. Yep, there's the tie. For the purpose of studying surgery from December 1st, 1880 till June 1st, 1885. During that time, he showed great skill and exemplary conduct and studied with zeal for the science of surgery. He gained many awards and accolades in his studies and work in those five years. After that, from October 1885 to January 1886, he studied practical surgery at a hospital in Praga, district of Warsaw. He was a surgical assistant, also known as a Fletcher, in Poland. His employer provided him with a testimonial stating that he had full knowledge of the subject and his conduct was good. It was around this time he got married to his first wife. In December of 1886, he applied to the dean of the medical facility of the Imperial University of Warsaw to take the examination to get his degree as a junior surgeon. The administration agreed and Klawski got the required stamp and paid the fees in February of 1887. Apparently, right after this, he deserted his family and set sail for England. They are not sure when he arrived in London, so it was either late 1887 or early 1888. Okay. Like many immigrants at the time, he settled in the east end of London, and he began working as a hairdresser. He worked in the Whitechapel district. He was also working under the alias... Ludwig Zakowy. That's a mouthful. God bless you. Zakowitzki. <laughs> Again, uh, God bless you. <laughs> so why is it all these educated guys go to medical school, leave medical school, and then become hairdressers? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of weird because, yeah, seems to be a common occurrence with this story here. So Kolaski was running his own barbershop at 126 Cable Street. He met a Polish woman named Lucy Badiski, and they had a son together. 1888 found him working as an assistant at a barbershop in the cellar of the White Hart Pub. 
at the junction of the Whitechapel High Street and Gunthrop Street, eventually purchasing the building in 1890 and moving to Greenfield Street to be close to his place of work. Shortly after his first wife arrived in London, the two women met at his house. Both claimed the distinction of being the real wife, and neither would give way to the other. Oh, he was double dipping. Yeah. Shouldn't do that. For some time, the two women actually lived in the same building with this enterprising barber. The records do not concern themselves with the kind of life led by the man during the struggle between his devoted spouses, but probably... It was not without considerable excitement leaving the other mistress of the situation. Yeah, it's never good to, I mean, if the women find out you're done, you're in trouble. He's well, lucky they didn't murder him. Yeah, apparently one just kind of uh, went back to London, I think, and then the other one just kind of disappeared. I don't know. <laughs> but didn't die. I mean, right. he, he didn't kill him at that point. At length, one of the women went away and disappeared, leaving the other mistress unaware of the situation. The one that remained was the latest wife, Lucy Badesky. Again, God bless you. Yeah, every name ends with a ski. <laughs> it's because they're all Polacks. On March 3rd, 1891, their son died of pneumonia, and they decided to start a new life. So they set sail for America, settling in Jersey City, where Kolowski went to into business as a barber. No surprise there. <laughs> Here, Lucy became pregnant again. The couple were fighting often due to Kolowski's womanizing in 1891. The couple had another fight, and Kolowski held her head down to the bed and covered her mouth with his face until a customer came into the barber shop. Jeez. After that, Lucy moved back to England and started living with her sister. In 1892, she gave birth to a daughter whom she named Cecilia. Well, at least you can pronounce that one. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it produced a good song, too. Cecilia. <laughs> <laughs> Down on my knees. I'm begging you, please. <laughs> Just sorry. Keep going. <laughs> After the birth, Kowalski returned to London, and the couple reconciled for a time. By November of that year... Lucy had ended the relationship for good because Kowalski kept flirting with other women. Such a womanizer he was. Yeah, I think she would have learned her lesson before when he pushed her head down. In the... Yeah. He then moved to Tottenham, where he worked as an assistant barber at 9 Harrington Road. In 1893, he met and eventually married Annie Chapman. Why does that name sound familiar? I don't. No, because actually it wasn't one of the original victims, Annie Chapman. I don't know. Let me go back and look here. Well, we'll look later. So married Annie Chapman, and from there, Kolowski changed his name to George Chapman, never to be known as Severin Kolowski ever again. George eventually introduced Annie to Lucy, his other wife, because he likes to do that. And they all lived together for a few weeks. Finally, Annie says, like, no, I ain't having this shit. And then she leaves because she couldn't handle the situation. The story is a little sketchy here for a while as the timeline. 
but in 1895, Annie came back and claimed that she was pregnant, and she was asking George for support, but he refused to help her. The story does not say if George and Annie kept an on-and-off relationship or if George's cheddar just swam slower than the average person. <laughs> Chapman is constantly moving, going from town to town, job to job. After this, he met Mary Isabel Spink, a heavy drinker, which started after her husband left her and took their son. It must just be a coincidence because I looked up Jack the Ripper victims mm -hmm. and Annie Chapman is a victim, but she was found September 8th, 1888. Well, and that's when all the five murders happened. Isn't it was in 88. Okay. So, I mean, a lot of this information is coming after so, I mean, we're we're in, like, 1890 or 91 now. So this is after the... Okay, so just must be a coincidence on the name. So, I mean, they, they kind of speculate that he was murdering these women and then finally breaks and he starts murdering his wives, I guess. I okay. Know. So, but I don't know if it's him because, you know, there's no mutilating or anything right. like that, but... This is one of their strong suspects here. Okay. So they had claimed that they just got married, which was not a legal marriage. Today, the buildings that still exist have signs of them saying, did Jack the Ripper work here? Could have. After Chapman was at his newest location, he met a doctor and they became friends. Chapman would talk about how he was once a surgical student and they spoke about his medical knowledge together. The doctor was impressed with him, and during one conversation, he asked the doctor if he could get an ounce of tartar emetic, which is a poison, but in small doses, it was used to cure alcoholism in monitored doses. Really? That's what they say. Kind of an old snake oil treatment. Kind of, yeah. The doctor complied with the request, but made Chapman sign for the medication in the poison's book as required by law. The poison was given in a white powdered form and dispensed in a wide mouth bottle with a label on it that read poison tartar emetic. Dose one sixth of a grain to a quarter should be taken with caution. He would eventually use the poison on three of his wives Isabel Spink, Betsy Taylor, and Maud Marsh. He was eventually caught when he started poisoning Maud because Maud's sister and mother called in for another doctor when Chapman was away. He recognized the signs of her being poisoned. Before the doctor made it back, Maud ended up dying. But after the doctor went to the police, they started investigating the case and discovered that his other wife's symptoms were the same. They exhumed the bodies and did testing for the poison, and both victims still had the poison in their systems. Chapman was eventually charged with the murders, and they even charged him as Severin Kolowski in two of the murders. On April 7, 1903, Chapman was hung for the murders. Before his execution, there were rumors that Chapman confessed to being Jack the Ripper.
Hello, my spooky friends. This is your host, John, from Dairyland Frights, the paranormal podcast that covers everything spooky, creepy, and mysterious in the Midwest. Ah, this is actually John. Uh, I hope my spooky voice scared you. And in this podcast, we're going to have creepy guests and spooky tales and mysterious sightings of cryptids, UFOs, ghosts, and everything paranormal. So tune in if you dare to be scared. But others say that this is not true and that he never confessed. Whether he is or he isn't, I think we can all agree he is clearly a piece of shit. Well, yeah, he's he may not be Jack the Ripper, but he's his own. He's a murdering asshole. So that, that got what he deserved. Definitely. Researching Jack the Ripper is like theory after theory of others who could have been the killer. This one I found interesting because it breaks down the timeline, opportunity, and knowledge of the Whitechapel area. Ooh. And skills to have performed the murders of Jack the Ripper. The next one that I find interesting as well, H.H. Holmes. Some interesting tidbits could place Holmes in the Whitechapel area of the East End of London in 1888 during the Jack the Ripper murders. However... I will end this part of the story here for now because I will be doing a deep dive into H.H. H. Holmes and his murder castle. I'm so excited for that story. So another suspect was Aaron Kaminsky. God bless you. Yeah. Kaminsky, another Polish Jew who lived in Whitechapel, was named as a suspect. However, the evidence against Kosminski was not strong, and his identification as a suspect came years after the murders. On September 7th, 2014, an expert in historic DNA analysis announced that British author Russell Edwards had commissioned him to study a shawl said to have been found by the victim, Catherine Eddowes, and that he had extracted mitochondrial DNA that matches female line descendants of Eddowes and mitochondrial DNA that matches female line descendants of Kaminsky's sister from the shawl. The experts stated the first strand of DNA showed a 99.2% match as the analysis instrument could not determine the sequence of the missing 0.8% fragment of DNA. We achieved a perfect 100% match on testing the second strand. He was convinced by the DNA found that he had solved the Jack the Ripper case. However, the DNA analysis looked into the test results and discovered that errors had been made and that the public had handled the stole for years. Also, Kaminsky's sisters were in the same room as the stole. And then another suspect was... John Druitt. Druitt was a barrister and a teacher of French and Latin. He was identified as a suspect. However, the evidence linking him to the crimes was circumstantial. Druitt committed suicide shortly after the final canonical murder. So he, so he could have been. Yeah, definitely could have been a potential. Yeah. 
Uh, he didn't have the medical background, but no, but I mean, any hunter could have definitely. That's kind of what they said is you know a butcher or a hunter could definitely. Also. So Francis Tumbledy, Tumbledy, an American quack doctor and known misogynist, was in London at the time of the murders. He was arrested but released due to lack of evidence. Tumbledy had a history of violence against women and was considered a strong suspect by some investigators. Walter Sickert, Sickert, I mean, with a name like that, it must be him. <laughs> a British painter has been the subject of speculation and suspicion as a potential Jack the Ripper suspect. Some theorists have suggested that his art and personal history contains clues linking him to the crimes. However, no conclusive evidence has been presented to support this theory. James Maybrick. The Maybrick Diary was reportedly discovered in the 1990s, claiming to be written by a Liverpool cotton merchant named James Maybrick, who confessed to being Jack the Ripper. However, the diary's authentic, 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 <laughs> How the uh, authenticity? Authenticity? Uh, no, I can't say uh, it either. <laughs> authenticity. Authent yeah. Authenticity. There authenticity <laughs> is widely disputed. Karl Fangenbaum, a German merchant and convicted killer who was executed in the United States, some have suggested a link to the Ripper murders, but the evidence is speculative. There are a few examples of many individuals who have been proposed as suspects in the Jack the Ripper case. Notorious other names have been put forward over the years, including members of the royal family, doctors, and other local individuals. However, the lack of evidence, definitive evidence, makes it challenging to establish any suspect as the true identity of Jack the Ripper. The case continues to be subject of speculation and fascination with various theories and hypotheses proposed today. Who are the most notorious killers? There have been numerous notorious killers throughout history. Here are a few examples of well-known killers. Jack the Ripper, an unidentified serial killer active in London's Whitechapel District in 1888, Jack the Ripper's identity remains unknown, and the brutal nature of the killings targeting female prostitutes garnered significant attention. Ted Bundy, active during the 1970s, Bundy was an American serial killer who abducted, assaulted, and murdered numerous young women across several states. He was known for his charm and manipulative tactics. Yeah, he was a doozy. He would go as far as making fake casts and fake injuries and stuff. This whole list is full of doozies. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a short list. There's only <laughs> there's only five, but it's the top five. Right. The canonical five or whatever. Eileen Warnos. Warnos was an American serial killer who was convicted of killing seven men between 1989 and 1990. She claimed her actions were in self-defense, as she was often involved in prostitution and faced threats. 
uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, known as the Milwaukee Cannibal. Dahmer was an American serial killer who committed a series of gruesome murders between 1978 and 1991. He targeted young men engaging in acts of rape, dismemberment, and necrophilia. Yeah, he wanted all of his victims to be zombies. Yeah. He even tried to turn a couple of them into living zombies. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get to them because we're going to separate these and Ooh. each do stories on these top five. Nice. Well, top four now because yeah. I just did one. <laughs> <laughs> um, last one, the craziest one of all, maybe. I don't know. Speculatory. Charles Manson. Manson was a cult leader who orchestrated a series of murders committed by his followers, known as the Manson family. In 1969, the most infamous of these was the murder of actress Sharon Tate and several others. And her unborn baby. Yeah. I, I think I heard that. Yeah. There are just a few examples of numerous other notorious killers throughout history. It's important to remember and discussing such individuals can be distressing, especially for me. And the focus should primarily be on supporting the victims and understanding the actions from what my wife's stories does to me. Oh, wait. <laughs> no. The actions from a societal perspective. And that's my uh, heartwarming uh, story of the day, folks. Oh, so heartwarming. You tell me that my stories get down well, and dirty. That was pretty I, down I don't, and dirty. I don't put all the detail in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, my last story, I kind of had to because she was a survivor and you don't normally get all of the details. So Yeah, and, you know, researching this, uh, I probably put in way too much time and I wrote way too little, but... It was like names and scenarios and people, just the theories and speculations and f facts just kind of kept overlapping from person to person. It's hard when it's a cold case. It's hard to well, yeah, be able to figure out and they're, uh, all they have is speculation. And everybody has their own rumors of who they think is the killer. If oh, you, totally. If you spend the day just searching Jack the Ripper on Facebook or YouTube, that's all you'll see is George Chapman was the murderer. You know, they're calling people out with good reason in some of them. But, right. You know, well, and you did. You watched a shit ton of YouTube videos and documentaries. Yeah. And, I mean, you went deep to try to get the information that you did get. Yeah, and I think people will find the H.H. Holmes case that I do. I can't wait for that one. Very enlightening, too. That guy so was... Def definitely not going to give any details. No, no. So you'll have to wait and see how that one turns out. But that's uh, all I got for today. All right. Well, I don't think we have much news other than, again, we have merch. So people go out if you want to support us and you want to sport some cool, uh, cute brain merch... Go out to bonfire.com slash store slash total conundrum 
and the prices are actually really reasonable. So go check it out, people. Yeah, and hit us up on some YouTube. We need some help over there. Yes, and if if everything works out with this video and stuff, now we'll start having video feed of our crazy expressions and dumb faces while we're recording. So today I didn't plan on recording, so I'm all up in a hat and ponytail. <laughs> Hoorah. So again, thank everybody. I thank you so much for listening and supporting us. And I think that's... Oh, the Conundrum Challenge. Oh, you got one of those? We had two winners from last week. Okay. Give me one second here. Um, Amanda answered the question. Amanda from One Nothing Podcast answered it within just minutes of it coming out. She got it correct. And then I created a second one. So if you want to see these, you can go out on the socials. They're out there. I think the second one's only on Insta. Um, Farah from the Conversation Cabin got the second one right. So, yeah, ladies. Good job. Go it's definitely. A couple of smart cookies yes, there. Yes. Definitely check out their podcasts as well. They're phenomenal. They're awesome, you guys. And we've had Amanda on as a crossover, and Farah will be having on at a later date um, unfortunately, she's been dealing with about a COVID, so we're postponing for now. So let's see here. I'm going to give you another riddle for next week. And the riddle is, I dance in the night, a shimmering light, a blanket of stars. Oh, what a sight. I come in the cold, a frosty delight. In the dark sky, I twinkle so bright. What am I? I got it. Do you? Yeah. Well, Phil, don't answer it. Phil Collins. Oh, my gosh. You got it totally right. <laughs> You're right on. Yeah. And the other thing I want to say is um, I want to apologize. We haven't been very diligent about getting our episodes out each week. Hopefully things will settle down a little bit for us. We had a death in the family, and then Jeremy and I both ended up sick afterwards as well. So we've been doing what we can to get the episodes recorded and getting them out. So just bear with us while we play a little catch up on this and we will, you know, get it back into the, the weekly routine again. Get in a rhythm again. Yes. It's kind of once you get out of that rhythm, it's and you get a little bit behind. It's like a snowball effect of trying to catch up. But we appreciate the patience and. We think should slow down a little bit now, so. All right, party people. All right, everyone. Keep on creeping on. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Laters. Laters. Thanks for hanging out with us here at Total Conundrum. Please make sure to check out our website and blog at totalconundrum.com. For news, upcoming events, merch, bloopers, and additional hysteria, you never know what will pop up, so be sure to follow along. If you want to show your support for Total Conundrum and gain access to all of our bonus content, please visit our Patreon page. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The links are available in our show notes. If you have any questions, comments, recommendations, or stories to share, please email us at contact at totalconundrum.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, 
review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the love. Keep on creeping on, mother cluckers.